Good morning, Miss Samantha. Good morning. How are you? Doing good. You are? Good. What's going, good. On? What's going on? What do you mean? There's a goat in your garage. <laughs> there is a goat in my garage. A big goat. <laughs> oh, goodness. So the goat's name is Snowflake, Samantha, and she's pregnant. And here's the gig is Wyoming this year has gotten more snow <laughs> than we have gotten in like 30 years. Seriously. And I have some land outside of town. I've got, I don't know, 50 acres or whatever. And, and I have cows and a horse and goats and chickens and <laughs> because I love it. I love it. I'm trying to get to the point where I am more self-sufficient and less dependent on really like everything. Like that's really what COVID taught us really, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like when COVID started and everything went into lockdown, is when we really um, went into this whole buying animals things and putting them out on the land. Um, because for the most part, I refused to keep my kids locked inside. Yeah. Um, but now I have a, this pregnant goat and we've got all of this snow and I am terrified that she's gonna have her kids, which is what baby goats are called, they're called kids, um, and I'm not gonna be able to get out to the land. I was out there, you actually came with me a couple weeks ago when oh. we tried to get out there. And we got yeah. stuck for six hours in negative 18 degree weather, stuck in the truck for six hours. And I'm afraid that that's going to happen again. I and I won't in, be able to get to her. I need to invest in actual muck boots, not rain boots that go to my ankle. Is what that yeah. taught me. Yeah. It do, I mean, I've had the land out there for five years now. And that has never happened. So that we have a lot of snow this year. Yeah. And I... I really care about my animals yeah. and I don't want so, so she's, but now it is almost as though she's like, Hmm, I'm in a heated garage and I don't have to share my hay or my water with anybody. And it's kind of And I nice. get treats every time you come out and see me. Right. And I get, you know, petted and baths and brushed and everybody's catering to me. So I'm just going to hold tight a little bit longer. Yeah. I keep thinking she's going to have those babies. And I haven't seen baby goats, so I'm excited. Oh, Samantha, on the list of all-time cutest animals of all time, goats are number one. If you have never seen baby goats... Dude, look it up. <laughs> Watch some TikTok videos or something. There is nothing cuter in the whole world. And when they're born, we'll post pictures <laughs> on our Instagram because it they are so cute. They're so cute. Hopefully someday she gives us the babies. And it is like against the law. So no, no, there isn't a goat in the garage. To have... That's just a large dog. Right, right. I'm not supposed to have her here. However, I think that in our small Wyoming community here that law enforcement would understand. She's not running, running rampant in the yard. Or She's here for a reason. It's here because I don't I don't want something to happen to her. And I know, like, over the last two weeks, you've come here and there's been 25 chickens in my kitchen. There's been... And I'm scared of chickens, so wasn't really down for that one. But this is, I mean, there's been cows in my kitchen, baby cows. There's been... We had a cow, a calf almost died last year that was, that was born um, in the middle of a snowstorm that was... I mean, frozen to the ground by the time we found it. And it was, it was in my, in our bathtub. Yeah. Warming it up. Warming it up and trying to, trying to save it, which we did. We did save it. Um, But, you know, it's just, it's just our culture. It's just what we do when you have animals and you, they're not just animals to me. They matter to us. Anyway, they're like little family members. Yeah. 
So I know it's alarming when you... I know it's alarming, but... You show up and there's just farm animals but in the garage. I know. You should be used to it, though. Like, that's what I do. <laughs> Goodness gracious. But we'll post pictures when they're born and videos. Y'all, it's the cutest thing ever. It's adorable. I'm excited because, like I said, I haven't seen a baby goat in person, so I'm excited. Ever? No. Oh, you're going to be... I didn't come visit when you had your last babies. Oh, man. It's... It's so cool. You're going to love it. You want, I mean, it's impossible to sit in a room with baby farm animals and not just smile the whole time. Yeah. It's impossible. It's the cutest thing ever. And it's, it's just, it's cool. So anyway, on to business here. I am Tracy. I'm Samantha. Welcome to the suspended sentence. What did you bring me today? So today we're going to talk about Mara, Mara Murray. Goodness gracious. Words Mm. are hard. Mara Murray. Okay. So I originally found this case on TikTok about a year ago. TikTok. Good old TikTok. I love TikTok. Me too. And honestly, if you're looking into like true crime cases, family members and stuff of missing people are always posting on there. Like you can get so much information. And actually, almost all of my information that I pulled is from her from her sister Julie's mouth. Oh, good. I love that. Me too. So her sister, Julie, 19 years after her sister's disappearance alongside her father, Fred, is fighting to figure out what happened to her sister, Mara. 19 years later. 19 years later. Whoa. So I would like everyone, after listening to this episode, to go take a look at her sister's TikTok and follow her TikTok page if you want to follow along with this case, um, which is at Mara, M-A-U-R-A, Murray Missing. Okay. So she posts on there all the time. Anytime there's any updates in the case, anytime she gets new information from the police, she's always posting that information. And she is asking for community to look at the things that the police are giving as well and see if there's something that maybe they're missing. Sure. More eyes on things sometimes is a bad thing, but in missing people, it seems to be usually for the best. For Well, and it is because, you know, when you're really close to to cases, you, you're not super objective. You know, you see yeah. things from an emotional standpoint. So I, I love that. How, uh, 19 years later, so I mean, so is there, is there new emerging evidence on a regular basis? Not really. Yeah. Uh, they've done a couple more searches and we'll get into kind of what the family is doing today after okay. we cover the case. I'm not familiar with the case, so let's get into it. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people do know about this, but a lot of people don't. And the more people that know, the better. are more people that can, who knows where she is. She bet. You bet. So, Maura Murray is a beautiful, smart, talented young woman whose family has not given a hope that they will find answers about what happened to her in 2004. She was born May 4th, 1982 in Hanson, Massachusetts. And at the time of her birth was the youngest of four children to Fred and Lori Murray. Later, another brother would make her the fourth out of five children. Aww. Her family says that with her being one of the youngest, that she developed a quick wit to combat her older siblings. They describe her as smart, funny, and most, mostly, but mostly kind, and that she loved helping people. Her sister Julie says that she cannot recall anyone ever having something bad to say about Maura. Except except herself, when she would not share her snacks or would beat her at basketball. <laughs> which is a very sister response. That is. Everybody has great things to say about her. Except me, because she beat me at basketball. She never <laughs> shared. <laughs> uh, so I just, I, I loved that little quote from her sister. 
Her parents got divorced when she was young, and she lived with her mother most of the time. Julie speaks about how athletic Mara was with, in school, breaking records for running as early as middle school. Oh, wow. She was fast. So I have siblings um, as well. So when Julie said in another video that they did a lot together, but mostly in her own words, they just gave each other a lot of shit. Nice. I understand that one. Yeah. <laughs> she was a star athlete in her high school, breaking almost every record that her school had at the time. She made varsity as a freshman on her school's basketball team. Fantastic. As a sophomore, she made nationals for running and finished 33rd in the country. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. She graduated fourth in her class and scored a 1420 on her SATs. Wow. So almost perfect on her SATs. Wow. Good for her. Smart, athletic, beautiful. I'll show you pictures of her. She's beautiful Mm -hmm. beautiful beautiful girl her sister julie um had attended west point which is a military Mm -hmm. school um and later more myra mora i cannot say words today would join her at west point uh she had been offered to other offered scholarships to other schools such as harvard and yale for running as well oh wow so she had a lot going for her a lot of attention Mm -hmm. yeah at west point she studied chemical engineering for three semesters. Fantastic. After a uh, time at West Point, you have an option to transfer or to sign a five-year contract with the military and serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, she decided at this time that she was going to transfer to UMass and study nursing instead of enlisting. She had a boyfriend at the time of her disappearance um, who, was, who she had met at West Point, and they agreed that they would stay together and just do long distance. Okay. Julie says that Mara was bright, funny, and breathed air into any situation that she was in. She said that, that having siblings can be annoying, but it's also but also that Mara was like having a built-in best friend. You get that. I do get that. <laughs> Mara was stationed in Korea at the time that Mara of Mara's transferring schools, and she said that she always sent Julie care packages, um, and she's just two years older than, than her sister. Okay. Okay. So her sister elected to enlist after her time at West, West Point, Point okay. while she transferred to UMass. <clears throat> while at UMass, Mara worked two jobs, one as a security officer like at the front desk and one at an art gallery. On Thursday, February 5th, 2004, she was working uh, at the security position. Her sister describes this evening uh, as Mara having an emotional event, which led to her supervisor being called to the desk and taking her back to her dorm. When asked what was going on with her, she just repeated over and over again, my sister, my sister. We know from her cell phone records that she had called her boyfriend and her sister, Kathleen. Kathleen believed that Mara was upset with her because she had relapsed earlier that day. Julie also has wondered for 19 years if there was something that maybe she had found out that had upset her, that would have upset her, that Mara was upset about. So they don't know if it was Kathleen or if Julie, she found out something that would upset Julie. I kind of think probably Kathleen, since she had spoken to her and she had relapsed, but I feel bad for Julie for wondering if it was something about her, which I feel like is really, really hard not to do when in situations like this. On February 6th, 2004, classes at UMass were canceled due to a large snowstorm. On Saturday, February 7th, Fred, Mara's father, drove to UMass to buy Mara a new car. Her Saturn was on its last legs. They saw a car that they liked that was $6,000, and he did not want to rush into buying it to make sure, see if they could get a better deal, you know, see how it goes when you're buying vehicles. 
Fred tells her that he'll come back in, next weekend and make a decision on the vehicle. Julie says that on February 7th, Mara called her at 3.21 p.m. This would be the last time that she would speak to her sister. They spoke, of, about, at the, they spoke about the cars that they had looked at and which ones were her favorite and says they were going to dinner. She was going to dinner with her dad. At dinner, a friend of Mara's, Kate, joins them for a drink, at which point they decide that they were going to go to a dorm party. They drop Fred off at his hotel and take his new Corolla to, the, to go to the party. They attend the storm party at, um, at about 1 a.m. The host passes out or goes to sleep. It's unclear on if she passed out or if she just went to bed. Around 2.30, Mara and Kate decide to leave the party. Kate heads back to her dorm, but Mara insists that she needs to return her dad's car to his hotel. At 3.30 a.m., Mara gets in a car accident heading to the hotel at an intersection, and the car is total, totaled. Mara did not have her cell phone with her. At 3.33, so three minutes after the car accident, a UMass cadet arrives at the, at the accident. Julie shares the police report on her page. Um, Mara was not given a sobriety test or a ticket or any medical treatment that evening. So she gets in the accident, can't call 911, and all of a sudden this police car just shows up. So Julie is like, I don't know if she didn't want to go back to her dorm room, and that's why she was so like, I have to return dad's car at 3 a.m. Um, that's or I mean, if she was just inconsiderate. <clears throat> she's like, there's a lot of questions with, with that. Uh, so a tow truck comes to take the car, and she jumps into the into the tow truck, who takes her to the hotel that Fred is staying at. On February 8th, she gets to her father's room and calls her boyfriend, and then tells her dad that she wrecked the car. Understandably, he's upset. She just totaled this new vehicle. Yeah. Uh, but they say that she was significantly more upset with herself than she was, than the dad was with her. Mm -hmm. She was like, I just wrecked my dad's car. Like she felt really bad. That afternoon, Fred takes Mara to her dorm and this is the last time that he sees her. She goes to her shift at the art gallery, calls her dad and who asks her to go and get accident forms the following day. She says she will, and she will call him right after. Around midnight on Monday, February 9th, Mara goes, uh, does many internet searches. One, a directions for, to Vermont and pregnancy terms for her nursing school assignment. She then turns in her homework. She gets done around 4 a.m. and goes to bed. 12.55 p.m. that same day, she, gets, she call, gets up and calls a condo owner in New Hampshire, where the family has stayed, stayed times before. The call lasts about 30 minutes, but she doesn't book the condo. About 1 p.m., she emails her boyfriend, telling him that she loves him, but she's not in the mood to talk and that she'll call him later. At 1.13, she calls a fellow nursing student to set, set up a time to return some clothing that she had bothered, borrowed, not borrowed. 1.24, she emails a professor saying that there was a death in the family. There was no death in the family. Oh. 2.05, she calls a ski resort in Vermont. 2.18, she leaves, leaves her boyfriend a voicemail. 3, 3 p.m., she returns those clothes that she had arranged to return to her classmate. 3.15, she goes to an ATM and withdraws $280 from her bank account, leaving less than $20 in the account. 3.43, she buys $40 worth of liquor. She picks up those accident reports that she had promised her dad that she would get. At 4.37, Mara checks her voicemail, and this would be the last time that there would be any cell phone atta- activity for the next 19 years. The next time that there was any timestamp was a 911 call at 7.27 p.m., so she had started driving two hours towards the mountains 
she was an avid hiker, skier. She had been checking all these ski resorts. She starts driving in the direction of a ski, ski resort. Gets about two hours from UMass and is in some sort of accident where a passerby calls, calls the police at that 727 time. 729, police are dispatched to the scene. A few minutes later, a bus driver stops at a vehicle with its hazards on and speaks to the driver. He offers some assistance and she declines and he drives a short distance up the road to his home. Between 7.34 and 7.38, a car passes by, sees police car nose to nose with the Saturn. Okay, that's weird, because listen to this. 7.43, another 911 call is made from another neighbor who sees hazard lights. 7.46, police arrive at the abandoned car, which is locked. So the police don't get there until 7.46, but somebody sees a police officer vehicle nose to nose with it 10 minutes before that. But hmm. police aren't on scene until 10 minutes later. So that's kind of weird. <clears throat> and now it's abandoned. Somebody had seen her at 7.29. 7.46, the car is abandoned and locked. 8 p.m., EMS and arrive at location. Neighbors get in personal vehicles to help try to find the woman, thinking maybe she started walking, just right. looking for her. EMS only stay on scene for 10 minutes due, not, due to not finding the driver. Yeah. State troopers uh, uh, begin assisting in the search. They start looking east, even though they have no idea who the driver is. But this is a weird fact, too. The initial report made by the police says a missing woman is listed at 5, five foot 7 inches, which is Mara's exact height. Hmm. But they have no idea who the driver is yet. They don't identify the driver until the following day. So nothing is found that night. No Mara, no footprints in the snow, no personal belongings outside of the vehicle. 9 p.m., a tow truck arrives and tows the car to its personal garage. I don't know how that works. I don't know if that's really weird. I've never had, like, my car towed, but doesn't they usually take them to, like, impound lots? Not, like, your personal I garage? I don't know. I don't know. Search efforts begin that night, began that night, and the next morning, a search warrant is granted for the vehicle. Due to five items having Mara's name on it and two with her physical address, they contact the family and say that she is missing about 8 p.m. the next day. Fred gets in his car and arrives at UMass on February 11th, right before dawn, to join the search. But Fred finds out that he's the only one searching. Game and Fit, he calls Game and Fish, who say that they will come in to help assist with scent dogs. The dogs track the scent from a pair of Mars gloves east about 50 meters, where they lose the scent in the middle of the road. Mm. That afternoon, they bring in scent, heat-sensitive helicopter. Mara's boyfriend and his parents are now traveling to New Hampshire to assist in the search. The search finds nothing. February 12th, search is extended all the way to the Canadian border. February 13th, that search goes to UMass, so two hours south to UMass. And Fred is able to see the Saturn Mara had been driving for the first time. Her belongings are released to the family. Three weeks into the investigation, ground search is suspended. Photos from Julia's account show that Mara was traveling east when she was in some sort of accident, causing her car to be found with a large dent in the front of the vehicle, as well as it being facing the wrong way on the road. There's also a rag shoved into the exhaust of the vehicle. Oh. She vanished, and her family is so devastated by the lack of information on what happened. The family believes that there are three possible options or theories that could have happened, according to her sister's, um, to her sister's page. These are their theories, 
and why or why not they believe that this could be the case according to them. 1. Suicide. The family does not believe that this can be the case because she turned in her homework, obtained the police reports for her father. There are no football prints and no body ever found. The items that she took with her, she had taken birth control, textbooks, and her running shoes. So her sister's like, that doesn't seem like somebody that's going into the woods to kill themselves. Right. She's taking things, planning for the future. Another theory is that she just took off and started a new life. Julie does not believe this to be the case either. There has been, never been any sightings of her. Both her mother and her sister Kith, Kathleen have since passed, and she does not believe that her sister would not have came, out, came back for the funerals. She loved her family. Uh, she didn't have the resources that she would need to start over. She had $280 on her mm-hmm. and left her vehicle. She doesn't have the resources. And Julie says, I know her better than anyone else. This is out of character. She wouldn't have done this. The last and hardest theory for her family is foul play. Her sister Julie said uh, this is what her gut feeling is of what happened to Mara. The dog lost the, scent, lost the scent in the middle of the road, indicating that she had been picked up. Yep. There has been no sightings of her, no bank or phone activities in 19 years, and no one has found her keys or her cell phones and no remains. The family just hopes that they can get answers before mem- more members of the family pass, such as her father and herself. She wants They want answers before that happens. Uh, they have placed up large billboards in the area that Mara disappeared to keep her face and her story alive. They remain hopeful and continue every day to fight for answers. Before I give more information, what are you thinking of that? Um, somebody picked her up. Something happened. Um, $280 is not a lot of money. I mean, you could... You could disprove every... I mean, you could come up with a different theory to shut down everything that they're saying. Mm-hmm. Resources for a woman starting over somewhere new. She's a woman. Yeah. I... We have resources. We are a resource. So, I mean, if she wanted to... It just doesn't sound like that's her gig. Yeah. Like, she sounds like a pretty put-together girl with a bright future, with a good head on her shoulder, with, you know, pretty significant stability... And even though, you know, I mean, all of those things happened leading up to it, it doesn't sound like her dad was like, it doesn't sound like it was the end of the world that she crashed the car. It doesn't sound like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Something happened to her. I, that's my gut feeling on it too. And, and it also isn't, isn't uncommon or, or far-fetched for her to go, $40 worth of alcohol is not a lot of alcohol. That's well, not... a lot of the a lot of the alcohol was found in the vehicle. Well, and if she was going somewhere, she was clearly going to like a ski resort or something for the weekend. So it's not that's not a lot. That's not. I mean, that's I'm going away for the weekend and I'm taking a drink with me. Yeah. You know, and her books and her. You know, so um, the the rag in her exhaust pipe that doesn't just happen. And if that was in her exhaust pipe, then that would probably signify an accident. You know what I mean? Like um, the exhaust coming in, it could have that could that would have been the cause of an accident. Yeah. And and then the scent dogs. First of all, game and fish. Way to show up. Yeah. Way to show up. Um. But the, the fact that they lost the scent in the middle of the road, I agree. I agree with her sister. Somebody picked her up. She got into a vehicle. 
questions though, you can track cell phones. So if her cell phone hasn't been found, why has that not been, why are they not tracking it? What were the voicemail messages? They can get into that. I mean, that's a simple, that's a simple warrant, a very easily obtained warrant, mm -hmm. especially with family or next to, I mean, not next of kin because we don't know that she's dead or not, but where's the police work here? I, what was the weather? It was snowy, but was what snowy. was, but that's all, I mean. Well, they had gotten that big storm a few days before that had closed down the campus. Closed down school. So, and I mean. I mean, it's just crazy to me within like a 10 minute window, someone saw a woman outside the vehicle, asked her if she needed help. And then by the time the police get there, she's gone. She's vanished. She's just gone. So even if she had taken off on foot, they would have caught up to her. Right. You only have a 10-minute 10, 10 head start walking. Yeah, you can't get that far in 10 minutes. In snow. No. So, there's a lot yeah, of witnesses. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, she didn't call 911, though, when she got into the accident. No. And there's, I'll show you pictures of the car, and I'll post them on our Instagram, too. It doesn't look like she hit a tree. It's like she hit, like, another car or something is what it looks like to me because the front end of the car is like you know how if you rear end somebody it kind of bends up your hood mm -hmm. or if you hit a tree it'd be more or a delinear post mm -hmm. or you know something on the side of the road maybe. yeah it'd be more hmm. bent in so or maybe a deer or an animal or something maybe i mean, I I mean there's a million possibilities i mean if you if you have something in your head you're definitely going to go that route right but at any rate somebody picked her up she didn't just disappear. She didn't just, she didn't just, it didn't vanish. Somebody picked her up and took her. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that she said no, though, to the first, to the first couple to the of bus people. bus driver, yeah. Huh. But she didn't make any calls, so it's not like she called somebody for help. Like we said, the last phone activity was that voicemail at like 4 p.m. I wonder, though, what the, what, um, how your body responds and what the impact of you on on your body your cognitive function and your well your cognitive function your ability to reason I wonder what how it is altered by breathing in vehicle fumes oh I'm sure but I don't know I'm sure that there's some sort I'm sure there is some sort of impairment which I guess which would be an explanation as to why she was saying no to people that were offering to help and why perhaps she'd get into a vehicle with, you know, with someone. However, what, what I would think is if someone intentionally, not if, because somebody intentionally did that, somebody put that rag in the exhaust pipe. Yeah. That, that is not, that's not something that just shows up. No. I mean, there's, there's zero other explanation other than somebody put that there. They must have been following her. Yeah. So I wonder on the, on the, whatever that was that got put in there, if it was cloth or a t-shirt or. There's or some sort of DNA that could be ran today. Ran today. Right. Um, yeah. And I know that because they, her family is so adamant about finding something and I do not, I would be the exact same way. If it was one of my siblings, and this is what she said, because people keep asking her, like, how do you keep going on? How do you keep 
doing this for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. And she was like, if the shoe was on the other foot, Mara would do this for me. She would not stop looking for me. And she's like, so I'm not going to stop looking for her. Yeah. And so I know that the police have done some other searches just to Mm -hmm. see if they missed anything. But I think she's not in that area. I think somebody picked her up and she's not in that area. So we keep searching that same area. You know, if somebody put her in a car, she's not there anymore. Well, and not, yeah. I mean, she, I mean, she probably, I don't know. There wasn't struggle marks or anything that was noted. So she voluntarily got into a vehicle with someone. Which tells me she probably either knew them or. Or she was impaired because of. The fumes. Right. Huh. There is one thing that was interesting I saw in a video she just did the other day where inside the car there was a phone number that she had called in the past and it was never followed up on by the police. The police never called this phone number that was in her car and her sister was like, I would have called the number. I would have been like, why is this in the car? But so the family called it and it's a family from her hometown and she was like, this the family didn't know, but they were from the same hometown in Connecticut. Or, yeah, no, Massachusetts, sorry. And she, they were like, I don't know why she had our number. Hmm? So that was weird. That's kind of weird. And uh, she didn't give any names to that because she said for their privacy, which, like, I understand. But Yeah, screw that. <laughs> if, if you want answers, call people out. Yeah. Demand, demand a response. Yeah. It's a wild. It's wild, though, because it's... She... Within 10 minutes, it's just gone. 10 minutes is a long time, though. I mean, really. I mean, you think it's only 10 minutes. It's only 19 years. It's only... Or, you know, but that's a long-ass time. Yeah. So... Think about how much you can get done and how much you can say or do in 10 minutes if you want to. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes is a long time. So, like I said, Mara was last seen February 9th of 2004. She is white, 5 foot 7 inches, about 120 to 125 pounds, with green-blue eyes. And she has light brown hair. She has dimples on both cheeks. If you have any information, please contact the New Hampshire State Police Department at 603-223-3648. That number again is 603-223-3648. The FBI also does have a case open for this and will take tips. The FBI's hotline number for this case is 800-634-4097. I wanted to say three. It's a seven. Say it again. 800-634-4097. Wow. And her sister, tell me her, tell me her TikTok page again. Yeah. So Julie's TikTok is Mara Murray Missing. Spell it. M-A-U-R-A-M-U-R-R-A-Y missing. And she, I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll, if there's any other, like, massive updates on this, we will do a follow-up. A follow-up. Mm-hmm. Because somebody saw something. Well, somebody knows something because she went with somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty damn impossible for... People to keep their mouths shut. Yeah. 
somebody told a spouse or somebody told a somebody sibling knows or a best something friend. and whether whether or not it's I mean and and don't focus so much on the name focus on the story you know if you've heard a story that's similar or yeah. or a girl of that description that wilder things have happened yeah, or you're sitting around talking about whatever, and oh, my grandpa once da da da. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the stuff. How twenty year old crimes get solved is, you know, somebody slips up and says something, changes a little bit of the detail or whatever, and I don't know. That's that's wild. Yeah, and the other <laughs> thing is that that area, like the New Hampshire area, is so condensed. That's mm-hmm. why they were searching so many different states and that area and all the way up to the Canadian border because it's Mm -hmm. so dense. Those states are so small that, like, realistically, the top of New Hampshire is only a few hours away from, yeah, you know, the next state over. Sure. So, I mean, if you, anyone in the, on the East Coast really has any stories like that. Wow. The United United States. States, yeah. Yeah, I mean, here, 19 years later, think about how many times people move or travel or, you know, that's, that's crazy. Um, please look at these pictures on our Instagram. I absolutely hate stories of missing girls. I, I hate it. You know, I'm so old school, and I swear to God, I, I should have been born in a different area. Era. Women should be protected. We should be looked after and protected way more than we are. I hate stories like this. I know. I absolutely hate it. But please look at the photos. Please, please go and check out her sister Julie's TikTok support her, support these efforts, because here's the bottom line. If it was your sister, you'd be doing the same thing and you'd want help. You would want somebody to just give you 30 seconds to watch a damn TikTok. Yep. Just put her face in your, in your head. Remember her face. Remember her story. Yeah. Because she's worth it. Yeah. True justice is only served when people who are not affected by it care as much as those who do. are so just check it out thanks so much for joining us thanks for telling her story samantha thanks for giving her a voice of course and hopefully we get answers absolutely we'll see you guys next week okay bye stay safe